Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fish Unfiltered, episode 54, the first episode of 2024. My name is Kevin Baral. I am joined with my co-host, Isaac Azud, and good friend. And we are here with the founder of Fish on First, Eli Sussman. We have a lot to talk about today, despite the lack of movement still with the Marlins. A um, couple signings that we kind of touched on the stream. We can touch on them quickly here. Spring trainings got, got going today. Pitchers and catchers reported to Jupiter. We're recording this on Thursday, February 15th, about a couple hours after um, Skip Schumacher and Jesus Luzardo spoke to the media. And uh, we have a big article to dive into about um, Jesus Luzardo himself. Yuri Perez possibly have been on the move. And uh, last but not least, the Edward Cabrera trade rumors that have kind of broken Marlins and Pirates Twitter for the last couple of 48 hours. So, Isaac, what's up? Baseball's back. Um, so I, I guess that's the best way to put it. Would you guys say that this is the most anticipated day of the baseball schedule? Is it full squad? Is it the day that pitchers and catchers report? It's the first day that Skip spoke to the media. Kevin, you were there. But while the baseball fever is high, they actually came, and a lot of position players seem to have arrived early to camp. So that's always good to see, including Jazz, Nick Gordon, Josh Bell. Um, they've all already reported, and it's just very, very exciting time here in South Florida. Yeah, for real ones, this is like appointment viewing and following for for baseball for a lot of the mass public they don't get it they don't snap into shape until we get closer to the regular season they're missing out but kevin in particular who is extremely busy from jupiter on on this first day and i think that's reflected on the content on our site both him and alex krutchik they were a, a whole lot of good stuff just from from one day and it's yeah, it doesn't really slow down. We're going to have little news and nuggets and footage and interviews from almost every single day leading up to the start of spring games. So, yeah, I am uh, eagerly anticipating this uh, a spring of coverage unlike anything we've done before. Yep. So, as always, make sure to like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Make sure to follow us on wherever you listen to your podcast. But if you do Apple Podcasts, make sure that you check out the new podcast feed. So, Definitely something that we had to make the change there. Give us a five-star rating, all that good stuff. All right, let's do it. Uh, spring training. Isaac, you kind of saw it from the outside, so I'll let you kind of look at that outsider perspective, what you noticed from the first day. Well, I mean, a lot of storylines, obviously, to follow here. Um, there's going to be a full season without Sandy Alcantara. You're sort of used to seeing him get most of the attention. Obviously, he is sidelined for the entire year after recovering from Tommy John surgery. Other significant things, I think you got to talk about Sixto Sanchez. Um, back on the mound, he is out of options, like I reported on Twitter. He has to either make the team or, unless he goes back on the IL, this, this is it for Sixto Sanchez. Either he's on the IL or he's on the Major League Active roster. I have a tough time anticipating that. But besides that, pitchers and catchers, Paul McIntosh, Will Banfield, 
those two guys vying for a for a 26 man spot as well as Kirk Sally. He spoke to media today as well. The Marlins recently uh, signed him to a minor league deal with an invite. So a lot of catching competition, something that we haven't had much of the last previous years. So I think that's important as well. Eli, I guess just the same question to you. Yeah, um, I thought uh, I, I didn't know that Lazardo would have an extended presser, and I thought that was really interesting. Right in the middle there was Christina De Nicola that brought up the idea of him being in trade rumors, and um, th those have been several of those throughout the offseason have come up about other teams understandably being very interested in the Marlins simply. <laughs> not taking that step that you'd like to see them take and say is off limits. And at a stage of his career where people view him as an extension candidate, where they instead are sitting back and listening to offers on him. Um, but the response he had for that was very measured and very genuine about how as a South Florida guy who has spoken repeatedly about being a Marlins fan growing up, how much he likes it here and wants to stay here despite all the noise in the background. Um, yeah, that has been that to me was something that I was I didn't know we would hear from him today on that. That has been on and off a pretty big storyline for the Marlins during this off season. So I was uh, yeah interested uh, to hear from him on that. Other than that, it was it was just it was cool to get those brief interviews that you had with some of those non roster invitees and some of those prospects that we haven't really heard from before. Guys like. Bennett Hostetler, who'd never been in big league camp, and Patrick Monteverde, same with him, but also the NRIs like Trey Mancini and, and Kirk Tisali. Um, I think you did a good job. Uh, and for people that are watching on YouTube, we have a playlist called 2024 Spring Training Videos Impressors, so you could very easily binge watch all those. And for people listening to this on any of the podcast feeds, we're just going to attach some of those interviews at the very end of this episode for everybody's convenience as well, so they could get they could catch up and get a little bit more familiar with those guys. Yeah, so I guess my storyline kind of coincides with Isaac's where it's six though. I mean, we spoke to him today. I really, to a certain degree, got to feel bad for this guy because he kind of like feels like, man, another year, another press conference about the same exact things. He kind of felt a little down. He told, I thought he was going to say 100%. Christina, you know, of MLB.com straight up asked him, are you a full go? Are you 100%? And he said, yeah, I'm 90 to 95%. And I was like, oh, God. And I knew what I was getting myself into when I put that on Twitter. And evidently, it happened. And I do want to clarify. I know I put a picture with him uh, hugging Bennett Hostel, and it looked like he was way too overweight. But I don't think that's the case. He was actually not very overweight as much as many want to. Yeah, that one. As many want to say he looks you know, a little fatter than usual. That it, I do think the jersey's a little bigger than many think. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, um, he apparently hit 91 today in this bullpen. Um, he was throwing alongside Anthony Bender, who was also making his return. So nice to see him return there on the mound. And uh, for Skip as well, um, quickly want to mention Max Meyer. So Skip was very high on Max Meyer. Said this is the first time he's ever seen him throw live. And, uh, you know, for Max, it was really trying to balance out the fact that he's back out there on the on the field trying to throw with this team trying to make this 26 man roster because he's a full go he's good to go and now it's just really work back up those innings and and for and you know just kind of keep that contained knowing that I'm out I'm back out here but I can't go full strength for the first day skip really emphasized February 15th you are not trying to make this opening day roster that's when game starts 
that's when you're coming down to the wire. Not right now on the first day of pitches and catchers. And it really does seem like a lot of these pitchers understood that. And, uh, you know, that's maybe why you didn't see as high velos as you would expect it. But uh, Luzardo also mentioned that curveball, which he's kind of been working on. And uh, he said Bethancourt was really excited to see it, and we were able to see it today. It looked really good. Yeah, Max in particular is going to be one of the main storylines in terms of throughout the spring, just because he really is on that bubble between making the team in some way because there are those two routes for him to get on the roster, either as a potential fifth starter or as some sort of multi-inning reliever coming out of this. Before his injury, we were all there in 2022, early in the season. He showed he had really nothing left to prove in the minors, the way he was performing before his initial injury as well. And there has been a lot of promising little nuggets coming out of him during rehab, expanding his pitch mix, throwing just as hard as he was before. We think mid nineties fastball, maybe a little bit higher. So if it's, if he is back to kind of where he was a year and a half ago, it'll be a very compelling case. He's already on the 40 man roster as well. So that is going to be one particular guy where when it comes down to it, this team is still, uh, despite their quiet offseason, they're in a position where they're going to try to win games out of the gate. And if he is what he used to be, and especially if there's an injury or two elsewhere on the roster that creates a vacancy, it's going to be really hard to send him down. He's different up there between the years. You know, he he's a very, very confident young man who is coming back from an injury, the first injury in his entire life. He mentioned a couple of times. So I'm very curious to see what they do with him exactly. If all the all the reports are saying that they do want him to be starting for Miami, I assume he'll start off in AAA Jacksonville to begin the minor league season. And then you have to presume that he is first man up, one of the first man up to help out if there's an injury in the rotation or even in the bullpen. For a guy that's coming back from Tommy John, for a guy that was a reliever for part of his college career and just, you know, his size and his pitch mix, I would just already start him off as a reliever now, let him build back up in the bullpen. It could even be an Andrew Miller-type role if we want to give him a few innings out of the pen, but all accounts are saying that he will be a starter, and that's fine with me. I'm just very excited to see if he can uh, continue that crazy AAA success he had in 2022. And you also have Ryan Weathers down there that will probably – I know Craig mentioned that most likely he begins the season in AAA. Yep. So hey, that may be the level to watch this year when, when we start doing more or less of a minor league preview. We have them two down there and a couple other guys, Troy, Monteverde. So uh should be a fun team over there. But anyways, um, yeah, Max Meyer, definitely an interesting character, I will say. Not very emotional, uh, really straightforward, monotone type of guy there. So uh, yeah, anything else before we kind of move on from this topic and I guess – kind of look forward to what would be full squad where uh, you, Isaac, will be there along with Alec Krachik. I, I think that one of the bigger differences that I see this spring training so far is just the depth that they have. And I know it's cliche. I know we probably say that every few years. But even without Sandy Alcantara, let's start with the pitching. You, you have a few arms right away that are already ready before the season even begins that you know, okay, if one of the first five major leaguers, major league starters gets hurt, something happens, they don't produce – you have three or four guys that you're fairly confident in bringing up. And then same goes for catcher. You know, you already have Banfield, Casali, and PMAC in a pinch if you need them. They just seem to have, at least in my opinion, a lot more depth than they've had, including all those NRIs that they signed. They can play shortstop. They can play second. They can play third. Whether you need Tristan Gray to play some infield, whether you need um, Marty Costas to play some outfield, they just seem to have a lot of depth. 
this season in particular, and that seems to be the Rays' way. And Peter Bendix has brought that philosophy over to Miami, and I think that's going to really come in handy for this ball club because you know they have some injury prone guys like Jazz Chisholm Jr., like Jesus Sanchez, who knows what Avi Garcia will give you. So they have a lot of players that can easily step in in a pinch and help this ball club win. And I think that's the biggest difference from years previous. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I also do like the the balance of veterans that they brought in to to help out these young players because this is a really big time for some of these guys. You know, Amonso Verde, I'll mention Troy because technically he's a minor leaguer and he's still learning. And someone like even Javier Sonoho, who actually was not there. So that's another player. Um uh, you know, all these young players that are here, you have a good mix. That's why you bring someone like a Kirk Casale for the relievers, like a Elvis Alvarado, who's still young, a Lou Albert Arias. You bring in someone like a Yoni Chirinos, who's had success before at the major league level. So Kirk Casale, who's going to work with a fairly young catching group. I mean, Hostetler, Will Banfield, and Paul McIntosh, all very young. Nick Fortes still has a lot to learn, and he admits that. Christian Bethencourt and, and someone like Kirk Casale there to help them is really nice. First base when you bring in a World Series winner, Trey Mancini. So a lot of experience there with this ball club, and I really do like what they did. What is going to be interesting is that last year they had a relatively unlucky year when it came to rotation health. And entering this year, you know, fingers crossed, maybe, I mean, maybe they're due for a bounce back. But I think the reality is you just don't know what that mm. looks like until the season starts. You know, for the moment, it looks like they have – very good rotation depth, maybe enough to even trade from at the last moment. But that thing it looks somebody's elbow is odds would suggest that somebody's elbow is going to blow out at some point. That's just the reality of what we live in, um, in this world of pitching. And it, yeah, it's really hard to say one way or uh, another in terms of how it's going to hold up. But yeah, overall, it's this is the time of year where optimism springs eternal. I believe that is oh, the yeah. phrase for it. So, uh, yeah, uh, I am a, for the moment, as of this first status update uh, on the health front, things are seem to be going in a positive direction. And that is, it's going to help this team potentially overachieve if that keeps up. And when that inevitably happens, those injuries do inevitably come. It's not, hopefully, it's not going to be the AJ Ladwigs and the Sean Nolans of the world to come in and, and pitch for you. You have. Yanni Torinos, I, sh- I should have mentioned him. Devin Smeltzer's Monteverde. You have Maldonado in the bullpen. They just see, in my view anyway, they just seem to have a lot more attractive options to help out when their depth gets tested. And I think that's going to be, it could be the difference of whether or not they're a 70 win team or an 80 win team. So it's, it's exciting. And maybe I have the Marlins fever in spring training. The weather's beautiful. The uniforms look great. But call me an optimist, but things are looking nice. The uniforms do look great. They look really nice in person, but. That is a Noah Burger topic to talk about. Anyways, uh, you spoke about starting pitching Eli and possibly moving one, or that was you, Isaac. Uh, let's talk about one of them that may actually get moved legitimately. He was there today. I told everyone to get a good look at Edward Cabrera in his Marlins uniform, uh, his blue Marlins uniform. But a lot of reports going out that the Marlins and Pirates are in serious talks for Edward Cabrera uh, for a package that includes 
you know, we've kind of seen multiple different packages being mentioned, but both include the one player, which I guess we'll, we'll kind of um, go in on here, which is Jiwon Bay. Um, he's kind of a utility guy, second baseman, outfielder, mainly a center fielder, really good center fielder, um, really good success at the AAA level, minor leagues for the most part, never in a WRC plus under 100. But in his first taste of the big leagues, uh, it's fair to say he was not very good. He had a 60-something WRC plus, couldn't get on base. Uh, and on top of that, he does have, uh, I believe, assault charges, or he had assault charges. He had to deal with a 30-game suspension back in 2018. So that's another uh, issue there. And then along with that, a couple prospects. There's Mitch Jeb, uh, Brax Nashcraft, uh, 19-year-old John Seuk Shim. I hope I'm John saying that C. right. Shim. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, aside from that, a lot of encouraging players in there, a couple good players. I like Mitch Jeb, Jiwon Baywell. We'll have to wait and see. Ashcraft a little skeptical, but Isaac, we'll go to you first because I know how you feel about this. Why should yeah. the Miami Marlins not trade Edward Cabrera? I mean, let, before we even talk about the players that they might get back, whatever reported players would be the return, let's let's just talk about Edward Cabrera and his status with the Miami Marlins because I think that's the most productive thing to do. Edward Cabrera is out of options. Edward Cabrera, highly touted prospect in the Marlins organization in 2021 as highly touted as anyone, as Yuri almost. And this is someone that has struggled, obviously, with tremendous control issues. He's walking about six guys per nine innings in his major league career. And this is someone that they didn't even trust to throw a single pitch in their two postseason games. When they took Braxton Garrett out after four, I think it was, they didn't even trust Cabrera to throw any of those. So this is someone that I personally think has so much to unlock. And he's someone that every year it feels like in spring training, he either dealt with visa issues or with right bicep tendinitis, or he had an injury of some sort. So he hasn't really had a full healthy spring and full season under Mel Stoudemire to just see if they can unlock that command issue. And I think that giving up on him now would be a little bit premature. He's still extremely young, very sizable young man who throws very hard and has some of the best stuff in the entire organization. It's a five-pitch pitcher who, in my opinion, has no doubts of being a starting pitcher. I think he's a starting pitcher. It'd be just such a waste to put him in the bullpen. Unlike a Max Meyer, who's sort of a two-pitch pitcher, Edward Cabrera has five. I think he's a starting pitcher, and I think that other teams, you'd be selling a little bit low right now if you were to deal him. So in my opinion, I'd hold on to him. If what has been reported, like you said, Kevin, if it's three of those guys, including Bay and maybe Jeb and um, Shim, I think it was, then yeah, I, I would be okay with that but it has to be a really nice package because this player is extremely valuable and we mentioned the depth that starting uh, the starting pitching depth that miami has but i'm not really one to make a strength a weakness i am not for that so we'll see if bendix agrees but a lot of time it's a opening day yeah and then just to add on to to what isaac said i i kind of i'm on the edge about this one because edward's really good he he's has the potential to be a very very good pitcher you look at that baseball savant page for our viewers on YouTube. Everything is in red. Absolutely everything except the walks. <laughs> I I know there's a lot for him he could still work on with that control. He's really just struggled at the major leagues with the walks. But I'm not turning down that good of a package for a guy who, if comes back out, has a six walk per nine. That's not what you want to see. And I think Alex Carver mentioned it on the on the stream the other day that this guy gets absolutely smoked for first pitches, first pitch fastballs, I believe it is, over a 1,000 OPS. So 
there's still, I mean, as much as I do agree with what Isaac is saying, that this guy is still a really good pitcher, has the potential to be a really good pitcher. It's hard to turn down those type of prospects that could help your system right now and then moving on. I mean, a guy like Mitch Jeb maybe won't stay at, stick it short, but you're going to need that third base step at some point, and he could provide that. He is a really good prospect for a system like the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have always been pretty good for the most part. Being a number seven prospect is nothing to, to be taken lightly. And then I know the other names were mentioned, Nick Gonzalez, who made his debut this past season with the Pirates, actually in Miami, and uh, Leover Piguero, who could play mostly shortstop. That would be a really nice acquisition as well, in my opinion, just given he could play shortstop, has a pretty good bat, made a pretty good first impression there at the big league level. But Eli, I know you're kind of on my side here where they should trade Edward Cabrera. This package is what it is. I It is my position that... I don't I think his value is continuing to trend in the wrong direction, unfortunately. I'm I'm really skeptical about him as a starting pitcher and a consistent starting pitcher. It and I understand all angles of this. Uh last year was just immensely discouraging for me to see him. It was it, it was not the thing is it was consistent. It was consistently like just a a mess. It was consistent that he couldn't locate his stuff whatsoever um, when he had to. And like, but beyond that, when you combine that with the durability concerns with a recurring blister issue that he had even out, that he's continued to have even outside of those other issues and combine that with the fact that he has been in this organization a long time. This is an organization that has had success flipping a switch on player on pitchers relatively quickly showing them some sort of adjustment he's been a highly regarded pitcher in this organization for a long time for like this is his fifth major league spring training and even coming into the first one he was like a, he was a very big storyline in in 2020 way back then his progress has just for the most part stagnated there were some nice signs during 2022 um we should not forget about the production he had that year, but even then the underlying numbers, um, it was a low threes ERA it was a mid fours FIP fielder independent pitching. Like even then you could kind of see through it and question whether or not it was going to last one way or another. It's, it's, it's tantalizing to think of him as a starter because he does have a very deep pitch mix. That's deeper than a lot of the guys in the Marlins rotation that are having success. Mm -hmm. the, and the, the changeup is such a unique pitch for him um with the way that he throws it and like it's it seems like there's a world of possibilities for what you can build off mainly off of that one pitch that he throws as much as he does overall though i, I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in him being able to repeat his delivery he's um yeah for all that he has going for him he's just not a, a graceful athlete to me. And it is, it's an underrated part of being a starting pitcher to be able to repeat your delivery safely and effectively. He, he has very rarely done that in his career, at least when you get deeper into his starts. When he does, that's kind of the, that to me was years ago when he was being comp to Sandy Alcantara. That was the main distinguisher between him and, and Sandy, that gracefulness, that coordination. I don't, I don't know. I think, there are ways to potentially teach them, teach a, a player to do that. But now this deep into his career, and you just combine all that with the fact that he is out of options. If he gets off to a really slow start coming out of camp, you, you can't send him down. And they, to this point, the Marlins haven't really put any time into 
potentially opening the door for him to be a reliever and getting him prepared for that possibility versatile too. So is he going to figure that out on the fly in the middle of the season um, during a season where the team is half decent or trying to be as well? Um, yeah, unfortunately, we know uh, through multiple reports that they've been open to trading him over the previous year and came close to doing so. And I mean, the reality is value is down compared to that largely because of the fact that now he doesn't even have that option to send him down and make adjustments in a very low pressure environment as it is with all that being said, um, there is still some value here. If, if, uh, if you feel like you're, I I'm not really enamored with the pirates as a trade partner with all these infielders that we've mentioned that are possible headliners to the deal. Like all of them have some pretty big warts uh, that make me make it really doubtful that they're going to be regulars in the big leagues, whether it's this year or beyond. If, if they do deal him, it has to be for considerable value. And I think it should be looking, it, it shouldn't be, I think Peter Bendix understands this completely. That shouldn't only be about trying to make an immediate upgrade at a different position. It's it's about just getting value for somebody. Um, if, if they are as skeptical as I am about his future as a starter, it's just about getting one, well, ideally multiple pieces in return that could contribute uh, long-term in his place. One thing I do, I think it is worth mentioning is the fact that with someone like Cabrera, you trade him, you're kind of going into that depth a little bit earlier than you may want. You know, maybe Max Meyer isn't ready yet. And I know so, uh, Skip is really high on Max Meyer and probably Peter Bendix as well. They're talking about the way that uh, talking about him the way that they are. Uh, that would clear away for Max Meyer to kind of slip into that opening day rotation to kind of have already assessed that Ryan Weathers will be a swingman type player, but that could change as well. And really, aside from those three guys that are probably going to start in AAA, Meyer, um, Weathers, and I guess I'll even throw in Monteverde, you don't have much more outside of that. You only Chirinos if he's in AAA. You have Matt Andrees. I mean, that's those are names you don't really want to hear. No offense to them, but you're kind of getting to a point where you already did this once with Pablo. It works out, but you're losing on debt that you already have, and you're going to have to use more than you already did. And evidently that happened with the amount of injuries, but then you have another one, Edward Cabrera, and you go into even more depth. So it, you could easily see this from, from both perspectives where you want to trade someone like Edward, who, as Eli, you mentioned, they've been trying to do this for years, it kind of feels like. And it's not just you know one regime trying to do this. Now it's another one with Peter Bendix trying to do this as well. So it, there's certainly things that maybe we're not seeing that these Kim at the time and now Peter are seeing that maybe won't pan out for Edward at the major league level. So uh, I think we can move on here and we'll kind of go into this article that Craig mission, Barry Jackson reported one of the better articles I would say in terms of news and nuggets that we're getting here. Um, we spoke about Hazel Luzardo. We'll mention it again. Um, it felt like the top suitor at the time for Luzardo were the Baltimore Orioles who ended up, ended up pivoting and trading for um, Joey Ortiz, for Corbin Burns, I'm sorry. They traded away Joey Ortiz, D.L. Hall, and I believe a comp pick, which is the 69th pick of the draft. So um, it kind of felt like Miami wanted more, and rightfully so. Luzardo has many more years of control. It makes sense to make that type of a move if you're the Orioles, but they weren't willing to give up what the Marlins wanted. I am interested to see what the Marlins wanted. Apparently, I know Craig had tweeted about this earlier um, in the weeks leading up after this trade, but 
you know, he mentioned David, um, Joey Ortiz would be a part of that deal. He would immediately become the Marlins shortstop opening day. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, Dio Hall, a really nice pitcher that you would think joining this organization would help him a lot. And he was a top prospect once in a while. So definitely a lot to like there. And who knows what else Miami was asking for. I mean, the Orioles have one of the best farm systems in baseball, arguably the best in baseball. So Eli, when you kind of look at that report, what do you kind of think that package could have looked like and the possibility of the Marlins trading Luzardo, which these are two teams that kind of feels like they were perfect trade partners. They give us a pretty good idea in this report about what the trade package could have looked like to actually get done. It would have been centered with this catching prospect, Samuel Basayo. He's a stud. Yeah. He's incredible catching prospect. His hitting production this past season, he was one of the better hitters in his entire league as a catcher, as somebody that was extremely young for that level and could rise fairly quickly through the organization. He'd clearly be the top prospect in the Marlins organization, hitter or pitcher as well. So with him, would, I mean, Ortiz would be a really compelling second piece of that. He, he's not the centerpiece in the Lizardo trade. There are some questions about how well he'll hit at the highest level. His first cup of coffee in the majors did not go well, but seems like a pretty safe defender as a shortstop. He, he's, he's like a rich man's, Jacob Amaya, a slightly better version of that same type of player that they acquired last year via trade, the Miguel Rojas deal. So if you get those two, I don't know if it would be DL, maybe DL Hall. Like in the article, they call him DJ Hall, but DL Hall. Is oh, okay. Name. I wasn't reading that. Yeah. Right. I was like, so, oh, yeah. Good. Like those three. Yeah. Those three. Um, I think that would be relatively close to what it takes to get done. The thing is, it's just extremely rare for these elite hitting prospects to get traded um even from an organization like the orioles that is right entering their window of championship contention you would think that they would be a little bit more willing to bend on this stuff they're just really disciplined when it comes to that stuff and they want to be certainly for corbin burns it wouldn't make sense just because he has one year of control but the the report on this is entirely believable that the Marlins would want more than what it took to get Burns. And we, we've kind of talked about during the course of the offseason how high Lizardo's value is right now. This is about as high as it will ever get because of the years of control. The season he just had, low salary, relatively speaking, at least for this year. Um, and, and at the same time, um, as he said, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, he kind of was very transparent about wanting to stay a Marlin. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like extension conversations have really gone anywhere so that's why uh yeah to me this this one's not quite as complicated as the edward cabrera stuff there's not quite as much urgency because he does have those three full years of control he does so many things well that it's like not unreasonable to think he could take a little step up as a player uh from even where he was last year this doesn't doesn't this decision doesn't have to be this trade doesn't have to be made this offseason it's just that this really felt like the window to extend him. The Marlins are really interested in in doing that. And as long as he is not, you know, extended, as long as there's no like firm commitment to him long term, I think naturally these rumors are going to percolate. And I know people are tired of that. And a reason why is that combination of no extension and because of this Bendix philosophy to listen on almost everybody. And yeah, as long as he does that, as long as there are some sort of conversations happening in, in baseball, those are eventually going to trickle out. And it has been annoying that this storyline has been going on as well. But at the same time, it's it's been understandable. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're Peter Bendix, you, you would 
essentially like to trade Luzardo, especially at the value that he holds right now, just coming off a over 200 strikeout season, career high in innings pitched, three years of control. You know, in terms of the possible haul that you could get, it could probably decrease depending on the amount of years left on his on, of control. So that's why someone like Corbin Burns was a lot cheaper than Jesus Luzardo in this case. But Isaac, uh, w- what's the case to not trade Jesus Luzardo? I think it's pretty evident, but why wouldn't they? I mean, I see people on social media bringing up the fact that he's a local kid, grew up a Marlins fan. To me, I, I think that's completely irrelevant to whether or not you should keep him. I, I thought, I think David Sampson made a great point a while ago about just, yeah, we would always go for those local guys and it just ended up being so irrelevant for us to do that. It didn't make a difference at all, whether they wanted to be here or not, or be back home. If anything, it was more of a distraction to be back home and playing for your hometown team. But anyway, for Jesus Luzardo, he is the ace of your staff this year. Yeah, I know Yuri Perez is there, Braxton Garrett is there, but Jesus Luzardo is your game one starter, your opening day starter. And we talk about trading Cabrera and that really would diminish the depth. Trading Jesus Luzardo would make this team look a lot different. And I agree with you, Kevin. The haul that Luzardo could bring would be tremendous. And it, it can't be anything close to what the Orioles gave up for Burns. Because like you said, it's one year. Luzardo's got three, and he's younger, and I would say, you know, he's probably better right now than Corbin Burns. I'm not a huge Corbin Burns fan at the moment, so I think that, and especially with what free agent starting pitchers are getting, it has to be an arm and a leg. It has to be, at the time, what Christian Yelich brought in from Milwaukee. Uh, It's got to be something like that. Obviously, better results, but a crazy package like that of three or four top 100 guys for someone like Luzardo. To me, it'll whether they trade him or not shows what kind of direction they're going in. And obviously, hopefully, they don't trade him because that would mean that they're not punting on 2024. But I, I don't think they were too serious in competing in this year. I don't think you would be punting. But, I mean, just imagine the haul. Uh, just kind of trading your ace. Of course, you're punting. You're trading your you're- ace after your other ace is sidelined the whole year. You're trading your number two. They're not, you're not going to compete. I don't think you will, but I don't say you're fully punting the season because you still have a good rotation, you know? You still have depth, which not as good as it was before, obviously, but uh, let's think of what this what, what this could have done for Miami. I mean, Sammy Basa- Samuel Basayo, who is, yeah. would immediately become the number one prospect on this in this organization. You bring in Joey Ortiz, who would become the shortstop for this team. D.L. Hall, who would probably be, I guess, triple-A, a triple-A pitcher for a little bit, see what they got in him, because I know he was a starter shifted to reliever real quick in Baltimore. Milwaukee's going to try to use him as a starter now, So, and God knows what else. I mean, this farm system would have really improved off of this trade as well as the major league team, so you're really getting help from both sides. So uh, anyways, I think we could kind of kind of running low on time here, so we could go to the middle part of this article where they continue to mention infield help. Um they mentioned two options, Gio Urshela, who was reported that the Marlins had interest in him, along with the New York Yankees and the New York Mets, along with Ahmed Rosario. Um, what was made very clear is that Urshela wouldn't be the primary shortstop. He would just move around the infield, a little bit of first, a little bit of third, giving someone like a Berger and Bell opportunities to DH. And then Ahmed Rosario would be the primary shortstop of this team if he were to sign. Uh, Rosario's kind of coming off of a down year, kind of feels like that's what the – type of profile someone like a Peter Bendix has been looking at get a lot of guys about a down year you'll get one who really succeeds and then that that's going to be kind of the face of your offseason there but 
Isaac, um, Ahmed Rosario is still once upon a time a really good player for the Mets and at the now, you know, early on the Guardians. Yeah, if you guys tuned into our stream last night with Mr. Kyle Seeloff, he seemed pretty confident that Miami would be signing one of these one of these free agent shortstops. He mentioned Tim Anderson a few times. He was not mentioned in the article by Craig Mish and Barry Jackson, but Ahmed Rosario was, and Gio Urshela was as well. And I'm not too fond of either options, to be honest with you. I would probably prefer Tim Anderson. Um, you know he's going to stick it short, and I just think he's got at least a little bit of a higher floor than these two because I think Ahmed Rosario, if he just struggles, it's going to be really, really bad. So I think it's fascinating that Tim Anderson wasn't. I'll have to follow up on that and see if there's any news regarding Tim. But, yeah, if you got to choose between the two, you, you probably would go with Rosario if we're between him and Gio, Kevin, because I think, again, higher floor, and he's definitely going to play shortstop. And if they do inevitably bring in a free agent shortstop, what does that do for John Birdie? He's set to make $3.5 million. He would be, you know, probably the everyday shortstop right now. The season started today with some time given to Bruhan, with some time given to Gordon and to others. So I think once they do bring in another shortstop, it'll be, no pun intended, bye-bye Birdie in that sense. So it's going to be interesting to see because already camp has started, Kevin, and there's they still don't have that set. So we shall see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, you, you would have to think this type of a signing will happen before full squad. So, uh, and, and, and on top of that, I do agree with you with the Tim Anderson thing. I'm pretty surprised Tim Anderson wasn't mentioned in this article. Now, again, it could be the case where Miami just doesn't have interest in him. But Tim Anderson just a year ago hit over 300, got on base at a really well good rate. The power wasn't there, but, man, was he a really good offensive player. I know the defense has always been an issue for him, but – if you could at least fake it or you know hold it down for the most part, that's what you kind of want. And then with Birdie, you also mentioned it. You have Xavier Edwards, you have Vidal Bruhan, who Bruhan, you're trying to see if he bounces back. He has no options. He essentially has to make this roster. So th there's a lot to think about there. You could probably move Birdie. You could get a decent minor league prospect back uh, that you could put in plug into your system and make that better already there. So. I mean, especially, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to trade Birdie because he's one of the older guys on the team. He's been here for a while, but you have to think about it. It could be a pretty good not not big package by any means, but a good prospect or two coming back. And then um, you know, Gio Shella, Eli, you've watched this guy before living in New York. Um, he had a really he was having a very nice season for the Angels before he went down with I think it was a broken leg. Yeah. But aside from that, um, he was coming off a very good year for the Minnesota Twins. 13 home runs, a 119 WRC plus. Doesn't didn't strike out too much. Really saw a huge improvement in the in the strikeout department, lowering his K percentage by, I believe, six or seven percent. Really close to that 10, and improving the walk percentage too. So a lot to like with Gio Urshela. Formerly was supposed to be kind of like the shortstop to, for for the next couple of years for the Yankees, but uh, things turned a different way when they acquired Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I mean, with, with both of these guys at this stage of the offseason, um, yeah, it does seem like. Both would be relatively low risk in terms of what you're paying them. I mean, Barry in here is assuming that Rosario might go for less than six million bucks on a one-year deal. I would have definitely taken the over on that entering the offseason just because of how few other shortstops were out there. But as we get closer to camp, teams have a little bit more leverage. If you could, and with Urshel, because he's coming off that injury, because he's a little bit older, yeah, it's understandable that he'll be relatively cheap one-year deal either way. Um, Hey, with either of these guys, I don't think they make sense to acquire both. They made some of the decisions they've made already this offseason kind of signal that it, the roster is 
close to full when it comes to I don't think Bruhan is going to stand in the way of them potentially getting somebody like this, but certainly Nick Gordon will. I mean, the Nick Gordon trade was one where they're penciling him in for a significant amount of at-bats, whether it comes probably in the outfield, but potentially at some infield positions as well when necessary. And aside from that, they've, you know, they have a lot of other guys, um, including Xavier Edwards. Um, I'd be fascinated with exactly what that means if they sign one of these because Edwards doesn't really have a whole lot to show offensively in the minors, but you know, defensively, that is another storyline. This camp is like, if he can give you anything at shortstop potentially uh, at all, um, it's been a little while since he played there any considerable amount of time due to his throwing issues. Uh, yeah. I'd be down for, for one of these guys to, to squeeze into the mix. And yeah, it's, to me, Rosario is one that uh, I would focus on more. Um, the, it wasn't never anything that went into deep negotiation process, you know, deep negotiations, but uh, there was, there were rumblings of the Marlins, maybe flipping Yuri Perez for Bobby Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I don't want to spend any more time on that than we have to, other than to hopefully get into agreement that the Marlins, if they had an opportunity to do that in a one-for-one deal, that they should have done that. As much as everybody adores Yuri, it is, yeah, it's again an everyday shortstop who last year, uh, during the mo- middle of last season, through the end of the season, would establish himself as one of the very best players in all baseball. And to have him with many years of control and an opportunity some of that would be open to an extension if the deal was right. Like that is, that was never going to happen. But uh, if it did happen, the Marlins would probably be on the right end of that blockbuster. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the only question I'd bring up to you, Isaac, is do you think the Marlins would have given him 11 for 288 had he come to, to South Beach? I think the days of Miami handing out nine figure deals or even, Honestly, eight-figure deals are are long gone. So no, I don't think they would have extended Bobby Wood Jr. But man, they should have. If I guess, like Eli said, if that was possible, they had to pull the trigger one for one. That is a miraculous steal to get arguably someone who might be the best shortstop in baseball in a couple of years. It's just a speed power combination. At short, is a dream come true for this team. Oh my goodness, just salivating at the thought of Bobby Wood Jr. being in Miami camp. But that is not the case. Yeah. Uh, I guess the last thing we'll quickly mention before we leave, uh, Jorge Soler did sign with the San Francisco Giants uh, three years for $42 million from what I have understood. The Giants were the only team that offered him three years. The Mariners never made an offer to Jorge Soler. The Blue Jays offered him two. The Marlins apparently offered him one year. He decided to go with the three-year deal. Evidently, that's what his camp was looking for this whole time. Uh, but according to the article, the Marlins did obviously kind of keep the door open. I think is the best way to say it. they left the door open. Maybe he wanted to come back. Eli, you kind of predicted this deal would kind of go down. I'm honestly almost exactly right. I think you had it. You said he would get a Mitch Hanniger deal, same team even. Uh, so what are you, what are your thoughts on Solaire's deal? It, well, it started with the decision not to issue him the qualifying offer and well, yeah i was pretty adamant at the time that he was going to blow past that and he was a player as good as he is a designated hitter where the market is very cruel to dhs it can take just one small slump uh when, depending on how old you are especially when you get deeper into your 30s for the league to overlook you and for him to get security for three years 
that was understandably his goal first thing up. He was looking to maximize his dollars. So I think um, with the Marlins, under, I, I, would, I agree with the Marlins being willing to l- let him go rather than pay market value. But the there was that middle ground where you could at least extend him that one-year offer, expecting him to decline, and then recoup a pretty significant draft pick in the 2024 draft for a team that is, especially this past week or so, as all the prospect rankings are filing out and farm system rankings, it's becoming a consensus that this system is in shambles. So everything you can get like that, every asset, a draft pick and the bonus pool money attached to it is very important for rebuilding this team in a sustainable way. So they pass on that. Uh, Craig Mish has mentioned this, and I, I think some other people, it's there were at least some faction of people that thought that were worried that he could accept it. And right. the did not want to risk that and being yeah. stuck with that. But it was my contention that the market values him even higher than that, that he would, and that his motivation was to maximize his money. He had an opportunity to get more than doubled the total dollars over the course of this long-term deal. And that, that he was going to make that um, decision. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they, they did not do that. I, I said at the time, I just think that was an objective mistake and one that maybe was just driven by the fact that this is a low revenue team they that it was not acceptable for them to potentially have to pay him if he surprised right. people in in and took that one year deal and all, all all I can say to that is that um it's that's disappointing that they would let fear get in the way of them making the what would have been the correct baseball decision yeah, yeah. i mean you I, I, I think you're no. sorry, Kevin. I think you're underestimating a little bit how likely it was that he was in a. I, I thought there was a pretty. Well, I think the AAV is 14, 14 a year for what he got with the Giants. You're gonna. I think it was twenty point five million dollars a qualifying offer. Solera had t- said many times that he would love to come back to Miami. He had a fantastic year, thirty six home runs. I don't think he's gonna top that in twenty twenty four as a Marlin. Maybe there's a chance he does accept that, and then. So you really get, you know, it's easy to say this with other people's money, of course, but you know, if all the money you spend in free agency, this would count, I guess, technically, yes, I guess maybe not. But with Solaire, that's twenty million dollars for one year. You have Josh Bell in for sixteen and a half million. You have Avi Garcia for fourteen million. It's just, I, I don't blame them as much for not extending that offer. It, it's a, it's a New York Yankees problem to get to offer it and get the draft pick. It's just not a Miami Marlins issue. All right, we are here with Miami Marlins first baseman Trey Mancini. Trey, thank you for the time. Um, take us through these past couple of days. You signed with the Marlins. Just what went into that process to join this team? Yeah, um, so, yeah, they um, had shown interest throughout the offseason and um, seemed like a great fit, and I've loved my first couple of days here, and I'm uh, so stoked to be a Marlin. What have you taken away from these last couple of days here in Jupiter? Um, you know, every time you go to a new team, um, you know, you're meeting a lot of new people, seeing um, some familiar faces, but um, a lot of new ones. So it's everybody's been incredible, and um, it's been great getting to meet everybody, and um, just feels like a great clubhouse to be a part of. You've been you've been in the major leagues for a long time now. You won a World Series. What do you think you could provide to this? Not just group of first basemen, but this whole team as a whole. Yeah, I think um, you know I've worked this offseason really hard on addressing some things that um, you know haven't gone great the last couple years for me. So um, I feel like I'm in a, a great spot to to bounce back and and um, provide a lot on the field and, and off for this team. Have you had the chance to talk to Skip? Maybe Peter Bendix? 
Yeah, a little bit. You know, obviously, um, you know, met met both of them, and um, yeah, they seem great. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm just so excited to be here. All right, we are here with Miami Marlins outfielder Victor Mesa Jr. Victor, thank you for the time. You're here in spring training, big league camp. What are some goals that you have set for yourself? No, you're just getting ready for this opportunity, like being a long time, how you say, like being like, this is going to be like my five or my six, my fifth or my sixth year here. Um, uh, grateful with this opportunity with the team. Uh, I'm excited at the same time too, even I get earlier. Because I want to work, I want to feel like at home. I always like, feel here, I, you know, ready to work, ready to give my 100% and, you know, let's see what it, what it happened. They added you to the 40-man roster this year. How how big was that for you, and how much confidence does that put into you going into the spring? It was a great news. Uh, I'm not gonna say that because it's not any confidence. I go 40-man on the 40-man. I'm gonna I go to the field with my like giving my 100%. I'm pretty thankful with the team for uh, thinking of me that uh, that I'm a good option. But how I told you, like ready to get the uh, uh, time of this opportunity, and that's it. How would you describe your season in Pensacola last year? Oh, pretty nice. Uh, pretty good crowd there. Pretty good season. Uh, we we used me in the last uh, in the last punch. Uh, we lose the final, but pretty good. Feel like pretty comfortable. Florida much better. Like uh, weather all the time, but pretty good. Uh, it was uh, how I tell you all, all the season ups and downs, but thanks God, like it was I I stay like healthy and I give my 100%. Uh, thanks God, like the stats are there and. You know, I give my 100% to help the team. That's the most important. Who are some players you're excited to kind of learn from here during this spring? No, everyone. Like, mostly the outfield because I'm going to spend more time with them. Like, you know, Jazz, Avi, I know all of them already. But for everyone, like, every time I'm here, I'm here to learn. I'm new. I'm practically new on these, how you say. But, you know, like, I want to learn from everyone. Uh, I told you on the interview before, uh, uh, you got to learn a little bit uh Every day, you know what I mean. To try to be best, uh, to try to be better every day. So that's all that you gotta do. You know what I mean. And then finally, um, the Fekue. Just talk to us about that experience of being able to play for them. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty nice uh, experience. Play with uh, great players. Uh, great. Uh, uh, it was a great um, opportunity for us to to be there. I'm thankful for being a part of that team. But you know, like. Uh, We've spent like used two games, but it was not that much. But by the way, uh, pretty thankful with them. But now we're here, like now we want to be part of this, obviously, and get ready for it. All right, we're here with Marlins reliever Anthony Maldonado. Anthony, thank you so much for the time. Take us through your reaction getting added to the 40-man roster. Uh, it was great, man. Uh, I was I was happy that the Marlins chose to protect me. I felt like I put myself in a in a good position last year after the season I had, and I'm I'm blessed, man. I'm really really happy to be here and excited for the year. I think you dealt with some injuries last year, but still had a great year for at AAA. Just take us through what you think you really improved in. Uh, I just trusted my stuff a lot more. Uh, playing in the Classic really, really helped me. Being with those guys, um, you know, the advice they gave me, trusting my stuff, knowing I was good enough to compete and, you know, dominate. So I'm blessed. Um, throwing quality pitches, I would say. Um, you know, not going strike to ball, breaking balls, and then using my fastball when it's right. And, uh, you know, I had a good year. You're here with Big League Camp. Just what are some things that you're looking forward to and maybe some goals that you have for yourself? Um, really just showing what I can do. Uh, not trying to do too much, um, you know, knowing the type of pitcher I am and, and showing what I can do, that's all. And have you thought about that moment, probably pitching in Lone Depot Park at some point with that Marlins uniform on? 
Yeah, of course. I, I think we've all thought about it, and um, you know, I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully it's here in the near future. All right, we are here with Miami Marlins pitching prospect Patrick Monteverde. Patrick, thank you for the time. Um, you're, a, you're an NRI, I believe, the first time in your career. How does it feel? How was the conversation like? And uh, what are some of your expectations in the, going into spring training? Well, it feels great. Um, very thankful for the opportunity, very blessed. Um, when, yeah, when Hector called me, actually it was the night before I was heading down here, uh, it was a pretty exciting moment just for me and my family. It was our last night together, so kind of got to go out on a high note. Looking forward to this, and yeah, just happy to be here and meet a lot of the guys and pick their brains. Talk to me about the Futures game. You were there, you pitched, and I believe you closed it out, so just yeah. what was that experience like? Well, the closing part was new for me. Um, I'd never come in on the back end of the bullpen, but the game in itself and just the whole experience was unbelievable. It kind of blew me and Nas's expectations because we were talking about it weeks leading up to it. And when we got there, just the, the fan atmosphere, Seattle, they put on a great show. I got to meet a lot of cool guys in the clubhouse and then just that were a part of the Mariners organization like Ken Griffey Jr., Rolo Bañez, Felix Hernandez, guys like that, Adrian Beltre. So, I mean, it was it was really unbelievable. You have a lot of pitching in this organization, but, you know, Sandy here, although he's out, but Edward, Yuri, I mean, you have a lot of guys here that you could kind of ask for advice, anyone who you're looking forward to kind of picking their brain. Uh, I'd say Zeus. Zeus is hard. I mean, he put a great year together last year and he's extremely talented. And just to kind of pick his brain about Nothing too crazy, just kind of the ups and downs and the ebb and flows of the, in the big leagues and how to handle it and any advice that he can offer. All right, we are here with Miami Marlins catcher, Bennett Hostetler. Bennett, thank you for the time. Uh, you're an NRI for the first time, I believe. Just what was the conversation like and now being here a part of big league camp? Um, I mean, it was it was really cool for me. It was a it was a cool experience. You know, I got a phone call um, and I was just expecting to come down, you know, obviously be part of minor league spring training, but um, you know, to have the opportunity to be be a part of this locker room, be a part of this clubhouse for, you know, for however long I'm here is a cool experience. Um, obviously, I'm I'm excited for myself, and uh, you know, hopefully, earn earn my way to whatever spot I get. You caught a couple bullpens thus far today. Just what do you, what can you take away from those? Um, you know, I try not to think too much about it. You know, obviously, um, for me, I'm I'm happy with how far I've come catching wise, um, but obviously, I have still a long way to go. Um, you know, and they, and they went well, so I'm encouraged with that, and uh, I'm just happy to keep going every day. What have been some of your biggest, I guess, learning curves, learning how to catch? Um, I mean, for starters, I think just how fast everybody throws. Obviously, you see it when you're hitting, but it's a lot different when you're catching. Um, so for me, that was it. You know, just being able to to control a pitching staff, to uh, to learn how to call a game. You know, the ins and outs of catching that you know I wouldn't normally th uh, have thought of when I was playing in field. Talk to me a little bit about your transition from high A to double A. Kind of felt like your production really went up when yeah. you when you arrived at Pensacola. What yeah. what what were some things you may have done differently, and just that overall transition? Um, you know, obviously, sometimes all it takes is just getting in a new location. You know, change some things up like that. Um, but you know, I did did change a couple things swing wise. Made a couple adjustments. Uh, helped gave myself a better chance to to be on time for pitches and to, uh, to you know to do some damage. Alrighty. Anyways, I think we'll wrap it up on that. Um, almost an hour long recording. Didn't think it would go that long, but a lot to talk about. Uh, Isaac, Eli, any last things that you guys want to mention before we? Well, I don't even know when we'll be back on, but probably after full squad. So, uh, any anything else? Yeah, it'd be nice if the show was on a consistent routine again. People are clamoring for it to hear from you guys, whether or not I'm on it or not. People are clamoring to to hear from. It. But other than that, just the usual reminders to follow our stuff. Fish on first.com. Um, 
to listen if you like my takes listen to my show which usually comes out on tuesday mornings the official show here wherever you get your podcasts including on youtube as well and yeah consider becoming a super subscriber fishonfirst.com slash subscriptions to help power our coverage throughout the spring training we're going to do it bigger than ever before in terms of how we're diving into this bring you all angles of this team and bring you inside that clubhouse up in jupiter so we appreciate everybody's support along the way yeah and um yeah i think we'll wrap it up there from isaac from eli myself we'll say we'll see you guys all in two weeks i hope that's the case so as always peace out and go fish